Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning, 730 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. We're two hours away from the start of what looks like, uh, at the moment at least, uh, a higher open on Wall Street. Some news we're watching in the corporate sector. Uh, Apple, Amazon testing a new service to make it easier for businesses to run artificial intelligence software on computers rented from the company. An example of Amazon chasing rather than leading, that's kind of rare. Google's already got something like that. IBM, Microsoft, and others have already also put uh, some of that together. Lenovo, fourth quarter profit, missed analyst estimates, struggling to revive the Motorola, Motorola, easy for me to say, smartphone brand, uh, net income $180 million. They were forecast to make 184.9. Uh, there's a story out this morning in the Financial Times that uh, Apple's director, Eddie Q, and Time Warner's head of corporate strategy, Olaf Olison, discussed the idea of Apple making a bid for Time Warner, but nothing came of it. Not sure where we go uh, with that. And uh, Gannett, out uh, with a... Uh, advisory to uh, Tribune shareholders uh, suggesting they withhold their votes in connection with the uh, proxy fight that the companies are waging over whether they'll be allowed to buy them or not. Now let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael? Mike, thank you very much. President Obama says world leaders are rattled by Donald Trump. The president mentioned Trump at a news conference today in Japan after attending the first working session of the G7 summit. The president says other G7 leaders are not sure how seriously to take some of Trump's pronouncements. The World Health Organization says over the past two years, about 1,000 people have been killed worldwide in attacks on medical facilities in conflict zones. Officials in Kansas say a large tornado has damaged or destroyed as many as 25 homes in a rural area in the northern part of the state. There were no immediate reports of injuries or fatalities. The National Weather Service says the twister was on the ground for about an hour and a half last night. Emergency crews are in Dickinson County to make sure no one is trapped. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm Mike Lubar. Mike? Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Land Rover Parsippany Bloomberg NBC Sports Update with John Stashower. John. All right, Mike. It was a climb for the Yankees to get back to 500 after being eight games under. And as soon as they did, six wins in a row, they fell back under. Losing at the stadium to Toronto, eight to four. Ex-Yank Russell Martin, two home runs, his first two of the season. First six in the Yankee order went 0 for 23. CC Sabathia starting the series finale four o'clock today. That's before the Yanks hit the road for 10 games. Steven Matz yesterday, brilliant in a two nothing Mets victory. They won them the series in Washington and gets the Mets to within a half game of first place. Matz was roughed up in his first start of the year, but since then, 7-0 and with a 1.13 ERA. Red Sox last night beat the Rockies. Boston's Jackie Bradley extended his hitting streak to 29. NBA, another blowout win for the Cavs. They've won the three home games against Toronto by an average of 27 points. This one by 38. 116-78, they were up by 33 at halftime. Cleveland leads 3-2 with game six in Toronto. Tomorrow, for the first time ever, the San Jose Sharks will play for the Stanley Cup, putting aside past playoff disappointments. Sharks beat the Blues 5-2, won the series 4-2. Cup final begins Monday. San Jose will face the winner of tonight's Game 7, Tampa Bay at Pittsburgh. We're at the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. I'm John Stashanowicz. 
Thank you, John. As we mentioned, it's kind of a calm day in the markets. A little change in the bond market. The dollar index down just a touch, but we're keeping an eye on oil prices. Brent crude, $50.18 right now. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keen. And futures are suggesting we are going to see a higher open. S&P futures up by two points, a tenth of a percent. Dow futures up two tenths this morning, 28 points. Uh, No change really for stocks in Europe, the stock 600, flat at the moment. Time now for the Bloomberg NJIT STEM report, brought to you by New Jersey Institute of Technology, investing more than $110 million a year in applied research to solve problems and improve life. Learn more at storiesofinnovation.njit.edu. Here's Bob Moon. Michael, good morning. Here's what's making news in science, technology, engineering, and math. When Alphabet chairman Eric Schmidt looks to the future, he sees breakthroughs in health and technology that will change the world. For example, Schmidt said he's looking forward to advances in genetics, thanks to technology that will improve gene sequencing and more personalized and efficient health care as the medical world becomes increasingly digitized. He spoke at Bloomberg's breakaway conference in New York. A new discovery about how clouds form may scale back some of the more dire predictions about temperature increases caused by man-made global warming. That's because it implies that a key assumption for making such predictions is a bit off. Researcher Jasper Kirby says, nonetheless, we are definitely warming the planet. Kirby works at the European Center for Nuclear Research, or CERN, near Geneva. He is the lead author of one of three studies on the topic released by the journals Nature and Science. The new work shows that a combination of cosmic rays from space and gases emitted by trees also creates particles and then clouds without man-made pollution. And that's this morning's Bloomberg NJIT STEM report. Michael. Thank you very much. It's a good thing um, John Stashauer was a little earlier while Tom's out of the room because otherwise we'd spend all day talking about Jackie Bradley's 29-game hitting streak and the fortunes of the Boston Red Sox. Instead, we can talk about economy and the markets with Jim McConaughey's uh, CEO of Principal Global Investors. Um, I, it, he, Tom wants to talk to you. Obviously, your background is uh, from across the pond. Uh, but Tom wants to talk to you about Brexit. We'll save that until yep. he gets back in just a moment. I want to start with Jim Bullard, and not what you, uh, you know whether you think he's uh, right or wrong, but he laid out the case for both sides of what the Fed may do. Uh, and it's really a case of whether you want to invest or not. Right now, growth is pretty slow, and inflation expectations are low, but inflation itself is rising. Labor markets are strong. Global headwinds have dropped. Which predominates in your mind in terms of deciding what you should do? Mike, you know, the the problem here is that most economic commentators, including the analysts at the Fed, are extremely confused. As you said, I'm confused. Growth is very slow. They're smarter than I am. I don't know about that. But growth is very slow. You know, the first quarter GDP, 0.5%, that's stall speed. And yet the labor market is behaving as if the economy is growing at 2 to 3%. You then have the situation where, don't forget, on capital investment, you have uh, companies flush with cash, really very profitable, but not investing capital. Why is that? I think the answer to those two paradoxes and many others is in technology. You know, it's no coincidence in the last 10 minutes you've been talking about all kinds of technology, whether it's from Google to Time Warner and Apple to STEM to STEM research. You know, the the whole business of technology in the last seven or eight years has revolutionized the economy. 
you've got the sharing economy, you've got higher uh, automation, you've got better product quality. I'll give you a small anecdote. All the, um, all the, all the uh, collision uh, avoidance technology you get in cars now means they get less damage, they bump into stuff less. What does that mean? It means that the cost of ownership has come right down. That's deflation. So from hints like that, I come to the view that the answer to the paradox, at least in part, is that the economy is a bit healthier than the GDP numbers suggest, that the GDP deflator is probably wrong because product quality is improving and costs of doing things are coming down with technology. So what do I think that means? I think it means that the idea that the Fed should normalize pretty soon on rates is the right answer. And I think that the push to get inflation going, you know, the central banks around the world are so enthusiastic about inflation. I think they're mistaken, and I think that that could lead to some very bad results. But from an investor's point of view, if technology is improving things, then shouldn't we see living standards rise and, from an investor's point of view, top-line growth rising? I think that the only reason we don't think living standards are rising is the way we measure it. You know, if you look at the television you have in your home now compared with five years ago, it does so much more. It'll do things like streaming movies, which wasn't the case as recently as five and certainly ten years ago. That's fast Wi-Fi plus better products plus better distribution of content. Uh, Those things are genuinely raising people's living standards in a way that doesn't get properly measured. So I'm of the view that actually living standards are probably rising faster than most people think. Uh, There is, of course, the political question of populism and people feeling bitter and angry. Um, That's a whole separate argument. But I do think on uh, pure living standards, we're probably doing better than most people think. What about growth, though, top line? Top line growth? Um, I've said conversations about this with much smarter economists than me and uh, the conclusion I got out of that was well let's look at the nominal not the real GDP if we don't trust the real GDP and if you look at it that way you know the economy is not growing very fast but it's not growing at 0.5 maybe it really grew at 2 if you did a proper quality adjustment to the GDP deflator. Jim McConnell was from uh, the principal global uh, investors group and we'll continue our conversation um, Tom may be interested to find out what you had to say about the TVs. Uh, he's still waiting for color to be invented on, uh, on his television. <laughs> we don't want to tell his kids. Don't want a new TV. Right now we're watching futures move higher. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by the Jeep Grand Cherokee, the most awarded SUV ever. The Grand Cherokee continues to raise the bar with its luxurious interior and legendary 4x4 capability. Drive one at your local Jeep dealer today. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer RIA that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. Brent and West Texas Intermediate rising above $50 a barrel for the first time in more than six months as a decline in U.S. stockpiles accelerates a rebound from a 12-year low. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. 
NYMEX crude oil is up 1% of 50 cents right now at $50.06 a barrel, while Brent is up 9 tenths percent or 45 cents at $50.19. Futures are higher. S&P E-mini futures up 3.5 points. Dow E-mini futures up 39. And NASDAQ E-mini futures up 9.5. The DAX in Germany is up 7 tenths percent. Ten-year treasury, a little change, yield 1.86 percent. COMEX gold is up 4 tenths percent or $4.70 to 12.31, 10 an ounce. The euro, $1.1173. The yen, one ten point oh eight. Time Warner up 1.9% in early trading after the Financial Times reported that a top Apple executive raised the prospect of buying the owner of HBO, CNN, and Warner Brothers last year. Netflix up 2% as the discussions underline Apple's interest in media and potentially offering its own content. And Costco Wholesale posting third quarter earnings that beat analyst estimates after the warehouse club curtailed costs. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. The Brexit Vote. Coverage continues now on Bloomberg Radio. It is not an Alabama accent you hear. It is the West Highlands of Scotland in Jim McCon's voice. He's got a bachelor's degree in mathematics, also from the University of Cambridge, which you can hear in his voice as well. So he's the perfect person to ask because he did his own Brexit and left the country to come here and uh, be the uh, CEO of Principal Global Investors. Uh, the big question uh, for when we were talking about Jim Bullard and the Fed, uh, for the Fed when they meet, and it will be a question for the European Central Bank and others, is what impact would a vote to leave the European Union have on markets around the world? And you have a couple of views. I mean, the, the, the pro-Remain uh, group argues that it would be a disaster. We could have global calamity. Fed officials lately have been relatively sanguine about the knock-on effects What's your read? Well, it's very hard to tell what would happen immediately. A lot would depend on the news around it. But I tend to focus on the long-term context of this. And, uh, you know, Brexit, if they vote to exit, would definitely be a vote against free trade, a vote against globalization. It would be, let's have our independence, let's be self-determining, even if it hurts our economy Mm -hmm. a bit. That essentially is, I think, if you try and treat it calmly, what they'd be saying. It's a little bit like, uh, I actually think there's a big transatlantic resonance here because the people for Brexit are very similar to the people for her Trump. Uh, You could have a situation where you get Brexit and President Trump and both sides of the Atlantic suddenly shut down free trade. That, I think, would be very bad. And if that's the prospect, I think markets could definitely suffer. When you're at Pembroke College, which, folks, is is just to bring it to clarity, something out of Harry Potter, were you ever threatened with being burned at the stake? Um, You know, did you get like a C in, you know, power functions or Taylor equations and and they said, we'll burn you at the stake? Not to my recollection. Not to your recollection. But (laughs) you think of... People people may have threatened me behind my back, but no. But, But where you were in school... Ridley Walk and the croquet field and all that at Pembroke yep. is the heart of medieval or late medieval England, I'll call it almost modern England. Yep. And in so much of the Brexit coverage that I see now, it's elite business people on both sides jawboning about elite business angles. What is your sense of what the people of England want? Yep. I can't get a straight answer on that. Yeah, the the people of the the people in England are basically pretty open to the rest of the world. I mean, even 
Even if you go back to empire, the British Empire was about free trade. It wasn't about ruling these foreign countries. It was about trading with them and doing economic stuff. Can Britain go back to that? I mean, is there... To, to the point of Mr. Johnson and um, Gerard Lyons in the Sunday Times a few weeks ago, what's wrong with that? I think what's wrong with that is that the trading world is now much bigger and much more multi-centered than it used to be. And I think that, um, you know, it's fine to say that countries trade with the EU without a, without a trade deal. That is true but they trade with their hands tied behind their back without the product acceptance that you get by being part of the single market. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I think the, the truth there is that the people in Britain don't really see it that way, but they're seeing their own prosperity and they're seeing a lot of jobs taken by immigrants in their perception. Uh, immigration has gone up very, very sharply, which is inciting both some bigotry, which is mercifully rarer than it used to be, but also some feeling of being economically threatened. So I think immigration is the biggest single issue that will move most people. And I think that uh, the, the, the debate is going away from Brexit at the moment. I thought it was 50-50 a month ago. I now think it's something like 70-30 against Brexit. I think Bremen, as they're now calling it, is the more likely outturn. But I think that uh, that is because of a combination of fears of the negative impact on jobs, which, you know, is there, whatever you say. It's uh, if you cut back trade, you cut back jobs. And maybe that uh, in many parts of particularly England, immigration is maybe not as bad as some people had whipped up sentiment to see it. Mm. Is there any uh, consensus on, uh, I asked you about uh, the effect on markets worldwide, but on what you might or might not buy in England? I think that almost anything is a little bit of a bet on Brexit because the second half of the year, if they go for exit, would see a lot of uncertainty about how trade is organized. And remember, particularly when you take into account imports and exports to the European Union, Britain remains one of the most open economies in the world. So anything that le- – and if they get the deal with, ho- with access, to the, access to the single market – you know, the Norway deal, if they get that, then the markets will probably be okay but not great in the second half of the year. Uh, if they don't get that deal, and if, as seems likely to me, the negotiations start off pretty rough, then I think the second half of the year would not be good for almost anything in the UK market. Having said all that, there'll be a relief bounce if, as most likely, they go for remain. Well, um Let's broaden that out a little bit and go back to what you said earlier about it reminds you of uh, Trump and uh, protectionism. Mm-hmm. What's Is there a defensive posture an investor should take if it looks like Donald Trump might win the presidency? Um, I think that if that happens, you're going to see multinationals, imports and exports looking quite shaky. Um, however, remember Mr. Trump has a track record of being very pragmatic and may not follow through some of the rhetoric if it turns really damaging. So I think what you're seeing is a lot of uncertainty about what he'll actually do. He is pragmatic. That's the positive. He said some things that would be very bad for business if enacted. Uh, That's the negative. But I think that if you're going to be defensive, you're looking at an economy growing less than you might have thought, which would tend to be safe assets, Mm. whatever those are. You know, he... Maybe before he starts uh, 
before a Trump administration starts borrowing a lot, you at least stick with the Treasury market and high-quality bonds. But he says he could default on Treasuries. So. He does. But I don't <laughs> so think that might be... not be a safe market. Yeah, that's the point about uncertainty, Mike. You know, he, he does say that. Um, is that a sensible thing to say? Not really. Because if you default on Treasuries, you bring down all the things that are supported right. on Treasury collateral. Let's bring in your mathematics. Peter Bookvar, the Lindsay Group, just publishing a brilliant note on mood out there in the equity markets. I don't know. Not bullish, not bearish. I don't know. goes back to 1990, a 26-year high. I don't know. Mm-hmm. In your world, uh, AX plus BY plus ZZ plus this thing called Epsilon yep. off the right-hand side, the Epsilon is off the chart. How should our listeners invest with the I don't know that we have right now? The I don't know has led to a very negative feeling in markets over the last two or three years. Equities hit new all-time highs at one point recently, but nobody felt confident. Right. That is not the end of a bull market. It's when more When more people are fearful than are enthusiastic, there is still some juice in the market, which is why... Based on that mood, I have been saying that U.S. equities are a buy on setbacks, and I continue to believe that. How do you know which way you come out of a range-bound market? Uh, well, you don't. On the next post, you don't know. You really don't you know gotta looking wait, forward. You've got to wait, but my guess is that valuations are not bad, that many good things are <laughs> oh, happening in the economy. Consumer stocks are priced to perfection. It's like a nifty 50 thing. Uh, not, not really, Tom, because the S&P 500 is on about 16, 17 times earnings. That's an earnings yield over five at a time when the 10-year yield's under two. That doesn't seem too bad to me. So I don't see it as price for perfection. Price for perfection is when you get to the situation in 1999-2000 when there were a lot of stocks on 50 times. Mm -hmm. So some will say that that stocks are priced for perfection, but I don't really believe that. Jim McLaughlin, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Mike, this was just fabulous. Yes. It's always great. On Brexit. I mean, we don't know what to do with Brexit, folks. Mike and I are sort of – I feel very removed, Mike, from the debate on Brexit. I think of it as – I don't feel like I'm qualified to judge the British people. No, we're going to have to go over there and find out for ourselves. That's a rumor. Yeah. Very good. Jim McClellan with the principal group uh, on the mathematics of the moment. Thank you, Peter Bookvar, for that research note. The Lindsay Group. I don't know. At a 26-year high. What I do know – as we have another hour of Bloomberg surveillance worldwide and coast to coast.